Hello and welcome to Sports Voice After Dark, uh, uh, coming to you on WNUR Sports. I'm Josh Burton along with Frederick Bouget. And of course, we've got the great producer Amit Malik uh, here in the McTrib studios with us. And uh, Frederick, uh, how are you doing uh, on this uh, Monday uh, after a pretty crazy Super Bowl? I'm doing good. I wish there was a different outcome, but you know going to be impartial right now <laughs> but in a couple minutes that will change yeah we'll get into the super bowl more later but now we're going to talk about northwestern uh women's basketball uh, coming off a tough 74 to 58 loss at home against the penn state uh nittany lions uh, yesterday afternoon in evanston northwestern uh really struggled in this one uh, only two players scored in double figures but the bigger story i think is that it's joe McEwen's 12th consecutive loss uh Joe McEwen's 21st loss to Penn State in his career. He's 0 for 21 against the Nittany Lions as a college coach. Northwestern's 12th straight loss to the Nittany Lions. Frederick, the loss drops Northwestern to 6-4 and four in the conference. What did you see? What I, what I saw from Northwestern is a team that doesn't really have great guard depth right now. It's a team that's really struggling if Nia Coffey isn't always on. And that record that Joe McEwen has against Penn State is just odd. It's not a matter of the fact that he can't coach. It's not a matter of he doesn't have the players to do it. It's just really unlucky against Penn State. But if we're looking at the game, I think the fact that you held Tania Page to only three points in the first half and you still couldn't come away with the victory is something that was a little alarming about the game, but some I wouldn't worry too much about. Yeah, for sure. And Northwestern hasn't beaten Penn State since February 24th, 2008, so almost nine years pretty crazy when you think about it and yeah frederick northwestern really only got production from nia coffee and ashley deary as usual four northwestern players played 35 more minutes the depth thing i feel like we've been talking about that for years with this team it's always going to be a problem and nia coffee had a big game 28.17 rebounds but she took 21 shots wasn't very efficient she was 14 of 18 from the free throw line which is something you come to expect from nia coffee but for turnovers taking a lot of shots her and deary accounted for over half of northwestern's field goal attempts I'm sure Joe McEwen really not happy about that. And when you look at the production that has to come from the team, if you don't have a player like Kristen Inman who was out, then you're turning to people like Amber Jamison and players like Abby Scheid who haven't gotten a lot of run time just because they're young players. And you're really forced to rely on people who you don't know can pull through with the production. Yeah, that's the big thing is that after those top players for this team there really just isn't much you mentioned the depth at the beginning of the year northwestern continues to pull in big recruiting classes had another top rank one this year but it's hard to throw freshmen in there uh in the miss of big 10 play and yeah what i what jumped out to me is just uh looking over uh the stat sheet today is that northwestern obviously didn't shoot well 20 of 59 overall just under 34 percent from the field but the def the offense has been uh, a trouble for has been struggling for a while. Northwestern hasn't hit seventy points in his last four games, but to me the defense was the big problem. In the second half, Penn State shot fifty seven percent from the field, sixteen of twenty eight, scoring forty three points in the second half compared to Northwestern's twenty eight. There's your difference right there. The defense just wasn't there. You said Tania Page Northwestern able to. Uh, limit her a bit in the first half, but in the second half, she kind of did whatever she wanted to do. Penn State had five players in double figures. Um, yeah, that letdown was a, a really troubling, and it really you think that you think of Northwestern, they're always going to be solid defensively, and if that's not going to be the case, then then the rest of the season, the last six games, really could be interesting to see if Northwestern even makes the tournament this year. 
Because if you look at the way that the team is constructed, defense is definitely their strong suit. You have Nia Coffey who's able to block a lot of shots, Lauren Douglas able to block a lot of shots. They're, they have a lot of bigs who they can rotate in and out who can provide that production in the post so that that post defense is really good and solid for Northwestern. Saw that on display against Wisconsin. You've seen that in display against other in other games. But against Penn State, their defense as a whole just fell apart. Yeah, especially interior. Uh, in the interior, Penn State 13 of 20 uh, on two-pointers in the second half. That's 65%. You're not going to win many games uh, like that. And, yeah, again, I mean, Nia Coffey always going to be the top player on this team. Uh, she's always going to be the biggest scorer. But when she's playing so many minutes, she wasn't really in that bad of foul trouble, so that mm-hmm. wasn't a big concern. But when she's playing so many minutes, we talk about it. It's going to get worn down over the season. And Ashley Deary also played well, but no one else really stepped up. Lauren Douglas, 2 of 9 from the field. As you said, Abby Scheid, 2 of 7. No one else really able to do much. Northwestern's third highest score was Amber Jamison, 6 points. She was pretty good, 3 of 6 from the field. But other than that, uh, not much going on. Also, 14 turnovers, uh, pretty troubling um, for the Wildcats. And that led to 13 Penn State points, another big uh, factor in this game. Uh, yeah, so Frederick, moving on from this game, mm-hmm. uh, Northwestern has the midweek off. They don't play this week. The next play on Saturday in Bloomington against the Indiana Hoosiers, who they beat a few weeks ago, 80-67. to That starts off the, the stretch run of this season for the Wildcats. They have six more games left, none against re- teams that are currently ranked. How do you see Saturday's game going, and what, do you th- what's your, what are your predictions for the rest of the season for this team? The, Indi- the Indiana game is a really interesting game to look at it. When you think about it, you're wondering if Kristen Inman and Lydia Rohde are going to be back to being healthy enough to really provide solid contributions for this Northwestern team. And an Indiana team that features Tyra Buss and another of other players who can really create shots. And when their offense gets going, they start to become more and more dangerous. It's a game that could very easily trap Northwestern. You could see another loss, which now brings them to 6-5 and five in the Big Ten play, and that's something that you start to worry about because their schedule isn't particularly daunting. But if the ball starts to roll and they start to lose a lot of games, now you're starting to worry. Yeah, and you've got a lot of road games coming up. Uh, three road games in a row, Indiana, Minnesota, Iowa, before the Wildcats come back to Evanston. And Northwestern's been fine on the road this year, just 4-4 four and four overall. I know it's not the biggest sample size, so I don't know how much we should draw from it, but it's definitely should be taken into consideration northwestern's 13 and 2 at walsh ryan arena this season so maybe that road swing it can go both ways with road trips in any sport you can go it can swing uh well if you uh get away from home get in a groove maybe away from the pressure of playing in front of the home fans or it could go poorly if you kind of uh, get off to a tough start in bloomington and kind of let that spiral uh out of control yeah and one uh daily northwestern reporter that covers women's basketball cole paxton said on Twitter that, we're just using this as a talking point, said that one more uh, loss to a, a non-ranked team in Big Ten play and the Wildcats' are, tournament chances are really in jeopardy. Do you guys agree with that statement? How many more games can the Wildcats afford to lose? I mean, Indiana is no easy matchup. I You think Iowa and Minnesota are definitely more winnable, but Indiana are a real threat. Is that is that statement true, that the Wildcats can really only afford to lose one or how many more games would you factor in that leeway? I'll, I'll pull up the tweet and some other points just to refresh the memory, but go ahead. What do you guys think? I would say that when you start to look at the schedule and you 
see two losses, now it's getting a little dicey. But if those losses are coming from the likes of Indiana or Purdue, your understanding, it, they're two teams that are right around Northwestern's skill set, right around that middle pack of the Big Ten. But if those losses are coming against teams like Minnesota and Iowa, now you're starting to really get worried because those are some real blemishes on your schedule when the committee's looking at a team that could potentially be an 8 9 seed. Yeah, I don't think, I think one loss to an unranked team is a little, I think that's pushing it a little bit considering Northwestern doesn't play any other ranked, ranked teams, ranked teams as of right now this season. So saying them going 5 and 1 the rest of the way, uh, that would give them 21 wins on the season, 21 and se- uh, 22 wins on the season, sorry, going 22 and 7 in the regular season. I still think that's pretty good in a power conference. 22 so I would, to 23 wins in a power conference, I think guarantees. Before the tournament, before, before the Big, the Ten big tournament, tournament, I think guarantees you yeah. a spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, to be sure, they dropping two of those games doesn't look great. Yeah. And then dropping three, I'd say you're probably in trouble if you, you know, look at their main schedule, they lose three of those games. But you'd have to say Indiana's the toughest one. But I really like their chances to go to Iowa, go to Minnesota, you know, beat those teams pretty handily. Yeah. they The three ones that I think should be must-win, or are must-wins, are the Iowa-Illinois-Rutgers game. Those comes in a yeah. row. Those teams are at the, at the bottom end of the Illinois and Rutgers, standings. like, are as close as you can come to penciling in a win for the Wildcats. Yeah. And then, so other than that, you need to, you need to take two or at, at at the very least, one of the other toss-up ones against the pretty good Indiana, uh, Minnesota, and Purdue games, all of which are on the road. So that's another uh, thing to to take into consideration. At least one of those to be safe too, and at least one win in the Big Ten tournament is what I would say for Northwestern to be pretty comfortable. I would agree. It seems that Northwestern kind of sealed its tournament hopes playing normally with the wins over Indiana and Michigan State. I think those two wins really cemented Northwestern as the fourth best team in the Big Ten, and that should be good enough. Frederick, what do you think? Yeah, I think that those were two big wins, and if you look in the non-conference, a win against Florida is going to go a long way in terms of this team making the tournament. So I think at this point, it's not necessarily about whether they're going to be able to get in, but if they do what they need to do, they're going to be able to get in. It's just a matter of what seeding will they get. Yeah, and it's interesting that both the men's and women's team seasons might come down to a, a season finale against Purdue, their tournament hopes, uh, the women being on the road, the men being at home. Uh, yeah, so coming off that, let's transition to the sports news from yesterday. Obviously, everyone's talking about it. The Patriots' overtime win in Super Bowl 51, 34-28 over the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta, in the third quarter, had a 28-3 lead. Patriots scoring 31 unanswered points in a row. 31, 3 1. Di- those digits remind anyone of anything? Who uh, blew that lead? <laughs> Who blew that lead? Both the Golden State yeah. Warriors and the in Cleveland. the NBA and the Cleveland the Indians. Indians of the MLB blew 3 to 1 leads. I'm sure you've seen that on Twitter. But yeah, let's go. Let, let's, let's, just, let's just think about the historical implications of that game. I'm a Jets fan. I hate to admit it. I'm ready to say that Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time. Five Super Bowls and seven chances overcoming Joe Montana, overcoming Terry Bradshaw. I mean, I, I, I can't I can't ration rationalize any other thing any other thing about that. I don't know. It's incredible. Yeah, I think I don't know about you, Frederick, but I hate Tom Brady. He took the Super Bowl from the Eagles in Super Bowl thirty eight. But at this point it's it's really hard. It's almost it's impossible to make a case that anyone else is the greatest quarterback of all time. 
And he's done it just by being consistently at the top of the field for 17 years now. Yeah. A little, maybe 16, you know, had a year out. Sure. But for a long time, he's just been so good. And it's not that he ever, like, you know, at his peak, he he's no Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't no. really make athleticism plays that wow you. And, you know, he's not famed for Peyton Manning's pre-play adjustments, although he, he's pretty good at those. It's just consistent accuracy, the right reads, and just a machine-like offense turning, you know, unheralded skill players into really talented wideouts and uh, running back receivers. It's At this point, it's just, there's no debate, and I hate it. I hate it, but he's so good. So good. It makes me mad. I feel like the lone argument you could make is for a player like Joe Montana just because you have the 4-0 in the Super Bowl. It's you true. have the 11-0 it, in the playoffs. But It does five, stain his legacy that he lost to Eli twice. twice. It does. <laughs> but he's more than made up for it with two after those losses. Yeah, my, my argument that I've held on to for a long time is that Tom Brady isn't Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick isn't Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. Tom Brady, sixth-round pick coming out of Michigan, wasn't very good in college, didn't do well at the combine, goes into the Belichick system, comes in for Drew Bledsoe after Mo Lewis of the Jets. Of course it's the Jets. Hurts Bledsoe. Brady comes in. History's never the same after that. If those guys don't have each other, Bill Belichick was a failed coach with the Giants, with the Browns. He, he comes to New England after being with the Jets for a day. The, see how the Jets keep playing <laughs> into this? This is my life. Uh, Belichick, best co- best football coach of all time. Easy. But I think it's Brady and Belichick, one of the best coach-player combinations of all time. I'm just more hesitant in football to say a, a player... Because it's so much less of a player game. Because with New England, if if the Patriots' defense gives up more more than just that touchdown to the Falcons in the second half, we're not talking about this. Because it's just a game that the Falcons won't go away. The defense locked in. We'll talk about the Patri- the Falcons' decision making and how that uh, factored into it. But I'm I'm really I'm always hesitant to talk about a player comparison in the NFL. Just it's a team, such a team-based sport, more so than any other league in which you're playing on both sides like a Tim Duncan playing both offense and defense in basketball, but I think Brady might have to be the best of all time. That Joe Montana, I didn't realize he was undefeated in the playoffs. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Brady, I mean, it's crazy if if a sixth-round pick from Michigan yeah. can be the best quarterback of all time. I don't know. Anything can happen. Um, yeah, so let's kind of like break, uh, look more into the game a little bit. The Falcons uh, getting off to that really good start. Scoring from the get-go, really high, high, fat, not from the get-go, my bad, misspoke. 0-0 first quarter, Patriots have yet to score in the first quarter of a Super Bowl with Brady or Belichick. But then the Falcons really poured it on in that second quarter, outscoring New England 21-3, had the pick six, had the Devonta Freeman big plays. What What were you guys' thoughts after that second quarter, during that second quarter? After Brady throws that interception, everyone saw that picture of him l- trying to tackle Robert Alford. It was 21 nothing in the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl that the Patriots were favored in. I don't know. It was crazy. I thought it would have been so beautiful to have Tom Brady and, like, the lasting image of his legacy be giving up that pick six, him diving it, and you can see his career Ugh. going with him diving for that pick six. But no. No, that's not the case because the Falcons... 
do what the Falcons do. They can't close. <laughs> and in the second quarter, I was like, wow, the Falcons, they've gotten a couple breaks. They're looking good right now. The Patriots just can't put it together. But will they be able to do it in the second half? I don't know. But it's not completely out the picture. But with the Falcons, I just can never really trust them, you know? I don't know. It 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 felt like, you know, the Falcons really had it in the bag, I think, after the second quarter, going to halftime. But what was, was weird is that the Patriots never really played their... Like, they never got to do what they wanted to do. They weren't executing on offense or defense. And you knew that that was going to happen at some point. My question was, was it going to be enough to bring them back? And really, like... They, were, they had the opportunity to in the fourth quarter because it was it eventually got to a two-score game. And when it was close enough to be two scores, still with the two-man conversions, they really just kicked into overdrive. And some things that, that stand out were the, the sheer disparity in the number of plays. It's impossible for almost any defense to stay on the field for 93 plays against the, the one of the greatest offenses in the league. And I think what happened was in that first half, that pass rush for the Falcons was just doing so much damage, and it ran out of steam. And when you're not getting pressure on Brady, well, he's going to cut you apart. That being said, despite the resurgence in execution from the Pats, it doesn't excuse that the Falcons lost the game. There is no way ever you should blow a 25-point lead in football, <laughs> and certainly not in the Super Bowl. Why, why did the Falcons do it? you got to look at the play calling. Just atrocious on all levels. How do you only run five running plays in the second half when you are up 25? If that doesn't scream horrible clock management, I don't know what does. Because you already were gaining six yards per carry when you were up in the first half. So now why not continue to go with what's working, give less time to Tom Brady, and continue to run the ball in order to, even if... You're not going to get the first down. Just run some clock. Force them to take a timeout. Do something, but make sure that you're running the ball. And some of the, some there were a couple times where Matt Ryan, he was holding on for the ball too long, allowed himself to get sacked. He gave up the fumble. It's just you combine the play calling with a lack of execution, and you could just see the fear in the Atlanta Falcons' eyes, and you just you saw it crumbling, just crumble. Yeah. As someone rooting for the Falcons, as an unabashed Patriots hater, I was just staring at the clock that whole second half. And I'll admit, at halftime, 21-3, Lady Gaga is doing the halftime show. I didn't think the Patriots were going to win. I definitely thought there was a chance they of would. Of course. And 21-3 is, you know, pretty plausible. They get a stop mm-hmm. in the first possession, which they did, and you're looking pretty good. I really thought at halftime, you know, there was a way they could make a game. But at 28-3, remember the Falcons scored first. It seemed just so out of reach. It seemed so out of reach. I don't I don't know. It was just nuts. But I think that the play calling in a few spots, you, you guys mentioned, but on the strip sack and fumble, it was third and one. And like you said, Ryan took such a deep, you know, uh, draw into the pocket. Why did it... I, I don't understand why you don't run the ball. But second, if you're calling a pass play, it's one yard. Why don't you just run a quick hitter? You know, you know, Julia's going to be double covered, so maybe not Julio Jones. But some as a short I mean, out route. Yeah, a, you, a have, toss, you have anything. Sanu. 
You have yeah. several other receivers yeah. that have capability because you've seen so many receivers grab touchdowns this season. Yeah. But it's like you have Freeman and, and Coleman. Just, just hand it yeah. off. And the second thing that, that happened was obviously up 28 to 20, you know, they get this. They're driving down. A field goal almost certainly, if it doesn't put the game away, it turns it into a 10-point game, and the Patriots need an onside kick to stay in if they do score. So Julio Jones makes an incredible catch. Insane. The second-best catch of the game. On an incredible throw. Yeah, I, a beautiful throw I don't want to take anything away from the catch. Probably one of the best catches I've ever seen, but I feel like the throw from yeah. Matt Ryan, they showed the replay. It was right in that... Literally, inch, I don't know how these guys do it. Yeah. Inches, I mean, if yeah. it's an inch below, it's deflected. An inch above, yeah. it's an incomplete pass. Perfect throw. When he caught that, I'm like, Whew. at that point, we just survived you were, it. You were really willing to say, like, you know, every almost every year, the Super Bowl comes down to a few yes, game-changing exactly. plays, and you can go back to every Super Bowl and point them out. And in your head, in my head. You're thinking, well, we just saw it there. Yeah. There it is. That's the play. I know it's not a close game if they score, but it doesn't matter because that play sealed it, and that's a Super Bowl winning worthy play. It is. But it turned out to be like the Jermaine Curse catch <sighs> because the Falcons' play calling did it again. They took a deep drop, took a sack, took a holding penalty, oh. and then had to punt after an incompletion. What? What ridiculousness? Why did they just run the ball? And you got to feel bad for Dan Quinn because he's working on defense. In two years ago, when he was an assistant for the Seahawks, you got to look at him like, why, why aren't you giving <laughs> the ball to We did it again. <laughs> and you're looking at your offensive coordinator going, I don't know about these play calls. Why is this happening? But he doesn't have that control. So you're just like, wow. Is Kyle Shanahan's head in San Francisco? Your <laughs> offensive coordinator that's a, that a uh, few hours after the game signed a contract to be with another team. I don't – a team that in the conference that Dan Quinn used to coach in. I don't know. It's crazy. I can't imagine what going through Dan Quinn's know. head he right must, now. He must be regretting it so much. But that's not even – those sequence of events still isn't the craziest <laughs> thing that happened. No. Because <laughs> after the punt down 28-20, the Pats still need to go score – when the in a, uh, an extended two minute drill, and you guys have to take me through this. I'm still I still know what happened. The Julian that. Edelman catch. It, it's <laughs> wild because one, you have a poorly thrown ball. It's like you're throwing into triple coverage. Why are you throwing into triple coverage? Then two, you have it go off the defender's hands. Like it is there for the taking. It's a tip goes drill. up in the air. It looks like it's gonna come down. Comes off the leg. And Julian Edelman has the focus and concentration to get it like a blade off of the turf and catch yeah, that ball. He, he and, pins and it on he, the leg. He pins it on the leg and then flip, drops dro- it. Like kind of drops it or flips it up and then catches it again. That to me was the craziest part because even when he caught it, I thought his momentum's going down. He's going to drop it on the turf. And he did, but then he just like bloop, did like a, like a, a matrix moment, which is what? Just and also, it. I mean, you go back a few plays on that drive. North, uh, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Just no want a quick Northwestern shout-out. Ernie Adams, who's widely seen as the brains behind the operation in New England, is a Northwestern alum. Just thought we'd point that out. So yeah. for the second straight year, Northwestern played a huge role in the Super Bowl, obviously, <laughs> last year. Trevor Simeon. Uh, so Wildcats just can't. Wildcats like the trophies, you yeah. know, uh, like the big trophies. But, yeah. 
New England had to go 91 yards. They went 91 yards in two and a half minutes. They were it was they were on their own nine yard line on third and ten after back to back incompletions by Brady. He finds Chris Hogan on a 16 yard play that completely opens up the drive. Yeah. When that happened, I was on like, third, we're in serious third trouble. Down, third and ten, third and long. Yeah, you're really thinking, well, maybe this isn't the maybe, drive. Maybe they get a sack. Yeah, maybe yeah. they, you know, maybe they have to go for it on fourth down. They have to at this point. And, of course, Brady just pulls out a r- almost a routine throw. Like, the thing about the the two Brady drives that was crazy to me is that there were a few questionable throws, but he didn't... There were no, like, spectacular plays other than the Edelman catch, but he just made every throw look like it was inevitable. Consistent. That's what it he was, is. It's just so evil. <laughs> I mean, my team has played the Patriots at least twice a year forever, right? Yeah. And Brady is not, as you said, Brady's not a guy. He's not He's not going to kill you with the Hail Mary. He's not going to dance around out of the pocket. If he thinks he's going to get sacked, he falls down and gets sacked. Yeah. He's He had that big run yesterday, but he's not a athletic marvel, I would say. No, Great athlete at 39 years old, obviously, but he, what, he kills you with the mundane. The Patriots kill you to death. They kill you to death. The Patriots kill teams <laughs> with those short passes like to Amendola, to Edelman, with uh, the running backs. James White had a Super Bowl record, 14 catches, and that opens up the big plays for them. And and, and you're right, Amit, like, other than the Edelman catch, which challenges the David Tyree Hellman catch for best catch in Super Bowl history, the Patriots just, they did what they always do. It wasn't 50-yard plays. It was 11, 11, an 11-yard gain, a 20-yard gain, a 13-yard gain, a 7-yard gain, and then the pass to Amendola for the touchdown. I mean... It's just they do the same stuff all the time, and teams aren't able to stop it because they're just really good at it. And at that point, you're just gashing the defense because Atlanta's defense looks so winded. I felt so bad for Dwight Freeney and Vic Beasley because they've been putting all this pressure on Tom Brady the entire game, and you could just see it. They had no gas left in them. Everything was taken out the tank. I just feel like the Falcons, you know, when everything's going well, you you don't think about the fact that the Patriots can come back in the game. And they're not thinking about it, and that's kind of an experienced thing for the coaching staff and the players in the execution. Like, you just need to run the ball more than five times. You can't drop back in the pocket so much. And just the number of plays, just they wore them out over game. And, like, you know, Bill Belichick would be the first to say they played a terrible first half. We would hate to play like that. But in a way, like, his plan just worked because they did the same thing for four quarters, and in the end, they just worn down the Falcons. And it's just like, if you're the Falcons, you, you can't let that happen. When you're up 28-3, to 28-9, to 28-12, there's opportunities to put this game out of reach. And I don't want to say they weren't trying. They were. It just was too relaxed. It was. And... You know, it's tough to say if it was the greatest choke job or whatever, but I have to put the blame on the fact that you just can't relax in the Super Bowl. I don't know if that's too stodgy of a take, but, like, (laughs) it's the Super Bowl, baby. Like, you can't turn off for one second. You can't. And, you know, they did that on offense. Yeah, and, and, I mean, we're not even talking. It's just crazy to me, like, Ryan doesn't, that fumble was huge. Yeah. By, forced by Dante Hightower. I mean, it's... I don't know. This was the pr- classic Patriots game. And that, was. like, you can say... 
all day like oh if this thing doesn't happen they don't win yeah if like, that doesn't happen they don't win but it happens like five tuck rolls into one game i mean <laughs> like even the patriots had that one drive in the first half they got three consecutive defensive holding plays and then they threw the pick six so it didn't end up mattering but to me that kind of like that kind of like was a symbol for how the rest of the game was like it just Whenever the Patriots needed something good to happen in that second half, it happened. It, it's really unbelievable. I don't even know what else. I mean, I feel like it's not even worth talking about the overtime. The Patriots won that t- the coin toss. Did anyone on earth think they weren't no, going to score a touchdown? No. I mean, come on. Once once you saw that the Patriots got the heads, you're like, okay, well, it's over. It would be one thing if the Falcons' defense was, you know, not already winded. Yeah. But the circumstances, Brady with the ball, Falcons defense couldn't get a stop for the last quarter, you knew. It was, it, it was done. And it's also like perfect elements because you're inside. It's not outside where you could have rain or snow or something like that. You're chilling in a in a dome that's just perfect and to it, play in. And it's ironic. I mean, the Falcons, for years, the story was that they couldn't win outside of the Georgia Dome. Super Bowls in NRG Stadium in Houston. In a dome, the Patriots are used to playing out in the elements. And the Falcons ended up losing in a dome. I mean, you really don't get more crazy than that. Uh, yeah, so do we want to put this uh, Super Bowl in comparison to other ones? I know I have a few ideas about which Super Bowls I think were crazy. are obviously going to be skewed more towards the one, the ones I've been alive for. But, uh, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think just the terms of ending, crazy, totally crazy, you know. But all-time Super Bowls, it's hard for me to say it was a greater game than some of the ones been played. And, you know, I think there are some ones from the 2000s that I think can stand up to it. You know, I'm a big fan of that Steelers-Cardinals game, mm-hmm. which still, to me, stands out as just both teams back and forth, which I think is just more quality than one team kind of just seeding ground. I don't know. That's one for me. The Seahawks-Patriots one from two years ago was, was kind of special, but... Uh, I'm also very partial to the Panthers-Patriots one of 2003. That one was nuts. Yeah, <laughs> They just traded scores the entire fourth quarter. So, I don't know. Those those three to me, are I think, are in the, in the same conversation at least. And it's crazy to think about some of the special games that have happened. A lot of them have involved the Patriots. All of them have involved yeah. the Patriots. Like, with the Patriots, they haven't been in a Super Bowl game in the Brady era where the margin hasn't has been more than six points. See, so looking at yeah, games this that one are, was a, a blowout. <laughs> See, so looking at games that are super close, and you have you have the two games against the Giants, of course. But I think a game that often goes underrated underrated is the Packers Steelers matchup. Yeah. Great matchup. You have Aaron Rodgers putting on a show, and you have a Steelers team that you thought was going to be able to do it again, but Aaron Rodgers was just too much for them. Yeah. Uh, it really is crazy. I mean, the Patriots, do you, everyone's dynasty people throw that word around. They did go 10 years between they they did go 10 years that winning a Super Bowl, so I don't love calling it a dynasty, but they they just they're a magnet for close games. It, it's really it's it's unbelievable and I'm going to be I'm going to be partial. I'm going to say I liked um I liked the first Giants win. The David yeah. Tyree one, that was 2008 ridiculous. Super Bowl 42. I mean, considering they were perfect I, so far. I, yeah, the Patriots were 18-0. and 0. I just watched the video before we got into the <laughs> studio. That drive was crazy. Uh, the, I, I, I still, I'm, 
I still am putting the Tyree catch ahead of the Edelman one oh, because Eli yes. Manning should have been sacked. Yeah. He, pay, I forgot what player it was. He had his arms on Eli. It took Eli. ridiculous coordination from two players. He, yeah. like, threw Eli around. Eli somehow had the presence of mind to find Tyree, pinned it against his head. They they scored a touchdown with Plaxico Burris a few day, few plays later and end up winning. I mean, I, I think that one's ahead for me just because of it had the his, historical impact of the 18-0. and 0. The Giants won nine games. that They won half the games that the Patriots did that year. They were 9-7 and seven in the regular season. They won the Super Bowl on that incredible play, that literal, that... I think that might be it. That might have been the most famous catch since the immaculate reception from I don't know how long ago it was before that, but that one to me trumps that a little bit. The second Giants Patriots Super Bowl still really exciting, still came down to the last few minutes, but to me, I don't know if anything can get over that Super Bowl Forty Two. That was just out of this world. It was nuts. It was. It was. And I think there's been a great run of Super Bowl so far. If you take out last year's Super Bowl with the Broncos and Panthers, which was just. It was still a decent game. I mean, you also have to take out the, the Broncos, Broncos, Seahawks. Man. Yeah. But outside of those two, we've really been treated to an excellent game almost every year. Going back to the two ones in the 2000s that weren't that good were Colts, Bears, and Packers. Or, sorry, and Steelers, Seahawks. Those are the only two that weren't just, you know, really awesome endings, I think. Yeah. I. I but I do understand the argument for this one. I mean, the comeback is... Unbelievable! The the stuff with I mean Roger Goodell getting booed, Ooh, and well he handed was, over the trophy, and you could and you could see on the video Goodell getting booed like it was the NFL draft. Belichick is hysterically laughing in the background. I don't know if either of you <laughs> saw that, but you know the Patriots were happy about that. Uh, I'll admit it was pretty funny to see Goodell get booed at the Super Bowl and him run off the stage as quickly as possible. Uh, and you also have Kraft talking about how sweet this Super Bowl victory was. And you can just see him alluding to all the implications of what's gone on in the past two years, but not explicitly saying it. And I think that makes it that much more fun to see Roger Goodell just squirm, having to be in the presence of the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. And that handshake with Brady, uh, just so awkward. awkward. The tuck, they, had, uh, they had Terry Bradshaw do the, all the, the things because Goodell, as soon as he handed it to Kraft, booked it. Yeah. He did not want to be around them. That was, gr- I'll admit that that was great. Not I was not pleased with the outcome of the actual game. The Goodell subplot, incredible. Um, also, Ed Werder asking, uh, was it, yeah, he asked Matt Ryan flat out, how crushing was this loss? That was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, just <laughs> asking a guy who blew, who played a decent role in blowing the biggest Super Bowl, uh, in, in having the biggest Super Bowl blown lead ever, ask him how crushed he was. That was a pretty, pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty yeah. hardcore question from Ed Warner. Matt Ryan handled it well. We got some hot takes about him, 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 comp- him dealing with the loss compared to Cam Newton. I'm excited <laughs> for Cam Newton to play next season. Um, yeah. So, um, unless you guys have any other thoughts about the game. Uh, we'll we'll go to the the other part of the Super Bowl that people love talking about, and that's the Super Bowl commercials. Any other thoughts? I do have one. I'm really sad about the cultural implications oh. that come with Atlanta not winning. Like we think about some great some great all culture. the bangers that would have come from Atlanta. Migos, they're <laughs> on top of the game right now. They would have had hit songs. Ludacris, <laughs> Ti, Usher. You can go on and on. And the fact that Atlanta didn't win this Super Bowl uh. means that we probably lost like $10 million of cultural production 
just from Atlanta not winning. And yeah, then, yeah. And, and this whole podcast we haven't mentioned once the political implications with the Patriots winning, with the connections on their team. We won't go into it. We don't have time, but. A cultural battle, for sure, <laughs> in, the, in the game last night. You you could do some research uh, yourself if you're listening. I'm sure you're aware. But, uh, yeah, thank, thank you, Frederick, for a great, great cultural point, actually. Atlanta uh, hip-hop culture, incredible. They might be involved in the rapper question of the week later. Anyways, <laughs> before we get to the lightning round, tell me what your guys' favorite Super Bowl commercials were. Let's see if there's any overlap. I asked you guys to bring five. You know, more is better if, if you want. I mean... And then, just to start, was this year good or bad? Just good or bad for Super Bowl commercials? Overall, if I were to give it a grade, I'd say C-. minus. Partially, okay. that was because of uh, the problems that my house had with Fox Sports Go. We weren't getting the commercials for the first <laughs> quarter. I think we missed the Avocados from Mexico commercial. Ooh. I thought, as Amit said, the political climate with the Avocados commercial would have been pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, I did catch most of them. I would say my favorite was the Melissa McCarthy Kia one. Another one, a lot of these ads were very politically charged. That one definitely was. But uh, I loved, uh, I'm a big Melissa McCarthy fan. I thought that one was really funny. I really liked the Cam Newton uh, youth football one uh, for Buick. That was really funny. Um, Mr. Clean one, kind of pushing the boundaries of the Super Bowl commercials a little bit. I thought it was funny. Very underrated. Very, yeah. Like it was, the premise was weird, but I definitely liked it. It was very funny. Um, uh, I hate to admit this one, the Brady Intel one with little the fact that the guy gets paid to be in a commercial mm-hmm. about laying in bed is unbelievable, but and brushing his teeth. Uh, I really, I don't know. I just thought it was a cool use of like uh, the technology. Um, and yeah, the the Bieber T-Mobile one with the dancing. Yeah. Uh, I was okay with it. Uh, I liked that they added Gronkowski. Um, I don't remember the other celebrity that was in it, but I think they that one started off pretty well, ended poorly. I, I didn't think Bieber was very funny. I thought Gronkowski was funny. Um, I, I really would have, considering he didn't play in the Super Bowl, I would have liked to see more Gronkowski <laughs> and other ones and other ads. But, uh, yeah, those are my five. I think overall it's definitely a C in terms of Super Bowl commercial performances. You don't have your um, chart toppers like a Doritos commercial. You know, they didn't come out, show out. So it was really a year that didn't have a lot of terrible ones, but there were no true standouts. So in terms of my top five, I really like the uh, Bye 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 commercial. That, was, that one I was a huge fan of. Christopher Very, Walken and yes. Justin, I Justin I missed Timberlake. That one. I think that was Ooh, one Well, I basically, Christopher Walken is just talking, and he's saying the lyrics to Bye Bye Bye, just speaking them in his inimitable accent. <laughs> and then it just turns to Justin Timberlake, who's sitting on the couch. Then they play the the actual song, yeah. Bye Bye Bye, and then just like, bye. <laughs> You gotta, did, now you gotta drink it. It did make me want to get a buy drink, so I was like, shout out to them one time. Then the avocados from Mexico commercial. Uh, when you're able to incorporate Fifty Shades of Grey, Deflate Gate, and politics all into one commercial, I think that you have to give props to that. I, I need to watch that one. So I definitely missed that. Avocados from Mexico, always classic, always clever, definitely up there. I thought the Skittles romance commercial was very <laughs> underrated, where they have the guy, you know, the classic rom-com trope of the pedal, <laughs> oh, not the pedal, the, the pebble, flinging it against the wall, and you have the entire family, and then I guess, like, strangers, too, just getting Skittles. That was pretty funny to me. Big fan of the Stranger Things season two reveal, and the Fast 8 trailer. Ooh. I intend not to count those as commercials. They're... They're entertainment trailers. trailers, but 
two nice reveals. I was very excited. Then four, gotta go with Super Bowl babies. I love babies. Babies. Oh are yeah, cute. I, I, bet, I forgot <laughs> about cute. that one. That one was really good. And I think at five, I'm just gonna include a bunch of the political commercials together because you know there were quite a few of them. So two that really stood out to me were the Budweiser commercial. I think that that one was real cool, telling the immigrant story of Adolphus Bush. And you have the Audi commercial with the little girl showing that she can be anything that she wants to be. I was like, true, I like that. <laughs> Women's equality and pay, love it. Let's get to that goal. So I was like, these political commercials, you know, some of them not great, but you know, they're doing it. They're doing it. They're going for it. How do you guys feel about the Brady commercial with the rings that he recorded before the Super Bowl and then they played after when they won? Ah, uh, I thought it was do funny. Give, do you give credit to Brady for it that? It was cocky. <laughs> like I, I read, uh, Northwestern's own Dan Ravel wrote about it. That it was it was shown in just the Boston market once, oh. but it was filmed in September. Yeah. And I mean, he was still suspended during that, and to to film it with the rings. Well, he really, wasn't on the field. That's a he really. It <laughs> wasn't anywhere near the facility. That's a really cocky move. I respect it. I don't like it because the Patriots did get their fifth ring, or Brady did get his fifth wing, ring. Um, but yeah, that that's a level of cockiness and confidence that if you're able to back up, I mean, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say. That's incredible. Also, at the end, when he says, Roger, that, I was like, this is petty. This is a <laughs> level of pettiness that I want to be able to attain. I, I like it. Yeah. In my own personal life, because you already have the rings. And if the commercial is being shown, that means you've done it. Yeah. You've done what you weren't supposed to do. And you have the satisfaction of knowing that Roger Goodell would literally want any other team <laughs> to be winning the championship. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, I don't have a top five. I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say. Any other commercials that stood out, good or bad? Uh, Darren Ravel mentioned his Twitter game was on point and terrible the entire <laughs> game. A <laughs> man tweets about some questionable things. Very I don't questionable. Know. But if you look at the, uh, the Coke commercial that was shown, I was like... This would have gone in my top five if it was 2014. But I've already seen the commercial before, so I was like, Coke, I see what you're doing with the branding, but I want new commercials, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one, one, a negative commercial I'd like to point out. Really <laughs> disappointed with Snickers. Uh, I think <laughs> they, they the live, it was like a mix of Westworld and I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't good. Snickers, I mean, like Doritos, when I see a Doritos Super Bowl commercial, it's going to be funny. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to get hungry from it. Snickers, I usually laugh. There's usually some big celebrities. I think the biggest celebrity is Adam Driver. I think he's been on Girls. I don't really know what else he's been Kylo on. Kylo Ren in Star Wars. I'm not a big Star Wars mm. guy. What? Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, Josh. No, Star Dude, Wars. Dude, come on. Ah, could you do without... You guys both don't like Star Wars. Okay, no, I didn't want. I didn't want to get into this. The, I know Star Wars arguments what? get bad, but okay. <laughs> Adam Driver. <laughs> yeah, he did girls. I mean, <laughs> sure, he did. He was also Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens. <laughs> I didn't love right. the commercial. All right, regardless. well, he's not a he's he's not an electrifying actor. I just don't understand where they were going with that. I mean, uh, what I would have liked to see maybe a big, maybe like another big athlete, maybe like get like a LeBron James in the Snickers ad. Or yeah. you, I don't know, uh, something something different. Uh, I would, I definitely would have liked to see. Really disappointed. I'm calling out you, Snickers uh, ad agency. Uh, yeah, very disappointed with that one. They must have needed a Snickers when they were making the commercial because it didn't. There come you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. 
Wow. You know where to you know where to contact Frederick Snickers. We'll give you his information if you need an ad for next year. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think that wraps up our our, our quick ad talk. So uh, that's the Super Bowl segment of this vad, and now we're moving on to the lightning round. Uh, always my favorite part. Although today I enjoy talking about the Super Bowl. For those who don't know, it's a sports news quiz. Uh, we ask questions about the last weekend in sports, pretty much. We have ten questions each. Uh, they increase in difficulty and value. Three easy questions worth a point. Three medium questions worth two points. Three hard questions worth three points. And a Philly sports special worth four <laughs> points. Uh, in the first set of questions is the Landon Donovan question of the week. It is always soccer-related. And the second set of questions is the rapper question of the week. I can confirm this week it involves Atlanta beautiful um other than that uh you guys usually rock paper scissors to decide it's like the coin toss although heads it's not like a heads or tails like it's some mental wits involved whoever wins you know can choose whether they want to go first or second all right oh that was quick that was quick you gotta do that again you gotta it's rock, rock paper, paper scissors, scissors shoot. shoot yeah you're right you're you were right. you were, you were I was, firing i was All right. Okay. All right. So Frederick, with the rock, beats the scissors. Would you like to go first or second? I'd like to go second. All right. I know Frederick really wants that Atlanta rapper question. So Josh Burton, with the first set of questions, starting off an easy one: Who hit a game winner for the Suns in their win over the Kings on Friday? Devin Booker. That is yeah. correct. Uh, off glass, but bank was open. The bank was open. Uh, who defeated Arsenal three-one this weekend in the Premier League? I'll go with Chelsea. That is correct. Two out of two. Nice soccer knowledge. Two points. Uh, last easy question. Who defeated Maryland in a wild Big Ten finish on Saturday? <sighs> Purdue. Yeah, we don't like those Boilermakers. All right, three of three. Well done, well done. Uh, I know you know this one. You mentioned it earlier, but it was a medium question nonetheless. Who returned the pick six for a touchdown for the Falcons against the Patriots? Robert Alford. All right. Uh, five points. Hopefully these get harder. I think they do. Uh, who dropped a triple-double in the Nuggets-Bucks game on Friday night? Nikola Jokic. That is correct. Great pronunciation. I'm not, I'm not sure if the pronunciation's right. Is it Jokic? Nikola Jokic or Jokic? I think it's Jokic. I don't know. Oh. It might be Jokic. You get. You, could you, be Jokic. you catch my drift. It could be Jokic, yeah. All right. So far, perfect. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, seven points now for Josh Burton. Maybe these questions are easy overall. I hope so. Or not. Uh, next medium question. Who hit a ridiculous game-winning three-pointer for Central Michigan on Friday night? Leading the country in mm. scoring, this man. Marcus Keene. That is correct. All right, nine points. Josh Warren going for that. Let's Good. see. This is uh, this is one that's also up your alley. Uh, who is the fourth NBA dunk contest participant? Derek Jones Jr. That is correct. I was going to name the other three, but you knew who the fourth one was. I'm a big NBA D-League guy. Shout out Long Island Nets. Wow. <laughs> he's played 12 minutes for the Suns. <laughs> yeah, Derek Jones Jr., he's he's a rotation his, guy. His, his highlight tapes are incredible. Oh, yeah. he can dude fly. Can dunk. So I hope, I hope it's a good one. Sad Zach Levine's not in it. Even sadder that he's injured. Oh, well. R.I.P. those knees. Yeah. Next, next hard question. Now this is one we might stump you with. Which receiver won the NFL Bridgestone Performance Play of the Year award for his catch against the Falcons? 
Julian Edelman. No, oh, no. <laughs> the award was handed out on Saturday. <laughs> oh. this is, uh, I'll, I'll give you another guess just because you thought it was that catch, which <laughs> surely was an incredible catch. Um, Catch. I hope you don't get this. I'll be mad if you do. I'll go with Sammy Watkins. Okay, good guess. This is Mike Evans mm. of the Buccaneers. He goes on an out route, catches it, ridiculous one hand, like, over the back catch, and then gets lit up on the hit, held onto it, Bridgestone performance by the year. All right, so no more perfect, but we've still got nine, 12 points here for Josh Byrne. All right, here's the Landon Donovan question of the week. Uh, who scored the winning goal in the USA's 1-0 defeat over Jamaica, a match broadcast on FS1 where Landon Donovan was the color commentator? Ooh, this is hard. Yikes. Um, I I hope he still plays on the team. Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones, good guess. He was on the squad for the first January friendly against Serbia. Ah. Was sent home for the second one. This is Jordan Morris, Seattle Sounders player, MLS Rookie of the Year, other striker. It's okay. I That's have right. absolutely no idea who Jordan Morris is. <laughs> did he go to Stanford? He did go to Stanford. They won some national titles there. Uh, all right. So last question: Philly Sports Special. It's hockey. Let's Ooh. see if you know it. Which former Flyer scored for the LA Kings in overtime to defeat the Flyers on Saturday? Jeff Carter. That is correct. Well done. Wow. So, an impressive 16 points for I'm Josh Burns. I, I hope these are easy. I, I, I hope, hope they you are can, too. I, I hope you can get some of these. I see... I see, so, I see some, some points. I see some points. All right. So, 16 points. A lot for Josh Burns. Maybe that was easier. Maybe Josh Byrne just really good lightning around. I, I I'll give him credit. It's the it's the latter. But all right, Frederick, easy question. Mm. Who missed a game winning layup as the Kings defeated the Warriors Saturday night? Mm, that was Steph Curry. That was he missed <laughs> uh, because that was poor. Yeah, it was Steph Curry. Poor play at basketball. You don't <laughs> see that every day, but I'll, I'll take it. I don't like the Warriors. If you didn't know, uh, next easy question. Uh, who upset Liverpool 2-0 this weekend in the Premier League? It Oof, was I watching soccer? Um, you said it was an upset. It was an upset. It's a team that's in the bottom five teams of the All league. All right, I'm going to go with uh, Stoke. Oh, Austin Miller would be insulted. I don't, know if Stoke, <laughs> I don't know if Stoke is that bad this year. This was Hull City. Oof. It's all right. We still have one point. The easy, easy question only worth a point. It's not going to swing them. Uh, can you name one of the three? Big 12 ranked teams to lose at home on Saturday. There were three of them. There was. There was a uh, Kansas. That's correct. You you only need one, but if you want to uh, name the other two. I'm going to save my dignity for now. And just name all right, Kansas. all right. Yeah, yeah, smart, smart. <laughs> um, the other two was West Virginia and Baylor. Um, tough day for those Big 12 ranked teams. It was. Yeah. Baylor, overrated. Well, their guards aren't great. <laughs> no. But, uh. They're big guys. Pretty good. They got Motley. Yeah. Yeah. Motley's, Motley's insane. All right. Next medium question. Uh, which two running backs were inducted into the 2017 Hall of Fame class on Saturday? You mm. probably know one. I th The second one, you should know, but who knows? Who knows? Was that The biggest takeaway I had from the class was that T.O. wasn't in it. T.O. wasn't in it. As an so, Eagles fan, that's disgraceful. Uh, pay I was not paying enough attention, so I don't know. All right, we got Ladanian Tomlinson, LT, first ballot Hall of Famer, second one, Terrell Davis. The other Terrell. The other Terrell <laughs> Owens. No, 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 no. Yeah, the, the other Terrell. Probably less famous than Terrell Owens, at least to us, 
But Terrell Davis, 97-98, two of the best running back seasons of all time. All right, we, we're going to need to start getting some here. I am. But medium question. You've got two points. Who scored 32 points in the Mavericks-Blazers game on Friday and then proceeded to sign a two-year contract the next day? One of Josh Burton's favorite players, Yogi Ferrell. <laughs> that is correct. Oh, it, I mean, <laughs> Josh, that, it actually doesn't stop for the Nets, man. <laughs> Josh uh, had a, Josh and his new uh, Brooklyn Nets. Oh, oh wow. That's not wow, thanks a minute. Josh and his Brooklyn Nets uh, actually had Yogi Ferrell <laughs> on their team at some point this year. Who thought he would be good? I don't know. Maybe he's too short. We'll see. The Mavs taking a gamble. Played well. All right. This is the next meeting question. You've got four. Which team lost after hitting a late three? After they hit the three, their ah, fans stormed yes. the court. There was a technical. VCU yes, yes. tied the game on a free throw, won in overtime. Which team was this? The Bonnies. Yes. St. Bonaventure. Correct. Well done. So that's six points. Now we're on to the hard ones. We've got a hockey question. Oh, gosh. Baseball, rapper, and then the <laughs> Philly Sports Special has to do with baseball. Just letting you know. Heads oh, up. Oh, gosh. So we'll start off. Uh, there's also a tennis question. I can do tennis. Tennis. Uh, which country defeated Canada in the Davis Cup round of 16 after one of the <laughs> Canadian players got angry after a point and hit a tennis ball that hit the umpire in the eye? <laughs> so he was forced to default the match. Which country beat Canada? Which country beat Canada? Tennis country. Um, or at least they have one guy that's good. He didn't even play. Tennis. I'm going to go with uh, Switzerland. Ooh. Close. This is Switzerland has two guys that are good. They they do have Rob Rinka and uh, yeah. This is Great Britain. They have uh, Murray. He did not fence. I think if you get these six and four ten, you have six now. You tie, so mm. you need to get this. I hope your hockey knowledge is good. Who scored an overtime winner Friday night for the Penguins over the Blue Jackets? Um. My hockey knowledge is not good. It's it's not your first guess. Or probably my second. Probably not your second <laughs> either, but so, that's a hint in itself. I don't know. Do you know? Is it Carl Hagelin? No, he's fast. This is Phil Kessel. Oh, okay. Um, I like Phil Kessel. He's fine. I don't like Crosby. All right, so now <laughs> we're, we're playing for pride. Here's the rapper question of the week. This is what I was waiting for. Uh, of all the Atlanta rappers involved in the Super Bowl festivities, who bet $300,000 <laughs> off the Falcons and lost? Okay, so let's think about our Atlanta rappers. You know, we went through a couple of them. Um, T.I. would do something like that. He comes to mind. Uh, young Thug might have that ambitious nature. But I'm going to go with Gucci Mane. Oh, that's so close. <laughs> I want to give it to you for that. This is two chains. Oh, oh. oh Gucci, Gucci tweeted out some questionable <laughs> things after they lost. Migos also had a bet, but his was considerably smaller, ten thousand dollars. Uh, two chains. Maybe he's down to one chain. After <laughs> uh, all right. You can find the other one on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Just like that Tom Brady jersey. Um, last Philly sports special. Uh, this is a fun one. Uh, which outfielder did the Phillies sign on Friday to a minor league deal? Uh, as a small hint, he is coming off a World Series win. Which outfielder coming? So, uh, uh, <laughs> hmm. he's uh, as Matt McHugh would describe, an A's legend. <laughs> an 
<laughs> not very good. Yeah, in in the World Series, I don't know if this is the World Series or the postseason. He was zero of seven. Wow. I I was paying attention for the uh, last game of the World Series, yeah. so uh, not sure on this one either. Uh, this is Chris Coglin. Former Rookie of the Year, Chris Coughlin. 2009 NL Rookie of the Year. That's right. Um, that's all right. We got six points. That's okay. I think your set was harder. Maybe I should have mixed them up. But Josh Burton, for the second time, has resounding win in the lightning round. Thanks, Josh. Um, thank you, Frederick, for, as well. This was a fun podcast. We talked some really good Super Bowl stuff. Um, thanks for listening. I'm Mitt Malik. This has been Sports Wars After Dark. <laughs>